Another noon edition of the show. Worst case Ontario. It was the worst case Ontario. That's basically... If you went to bed and you dreamed about the Blue Jays' first loss to the Twins, you had a nightmare. You woke up in a cold sweat and you went, ah, ah. Well, what happened? What happened, sweetheart? Are you Okay. Oh, I dreamt that the Blue Jays lost to the Twins. Well, that could happen. Yeah, but it was like Kevin Gossman. They were sitting on the splitter. They, they knew it. They couldn't figure out what was going on with the pitch. They, they couldn't figure out why the Twins were able to just read that splitter like no other team in baseball. <sighs> and then the Jays couldn't cash any runs. And then they used all the bullpen arms, except for Jordan Romano. And Minnesota won even though the Blue Jays out hit them. <sighs> that's what happened. Of course, that's what happened. I got to say, all right, the, the slate is still clean. The slate is still clean. I said yesterday, we were being mature about this. We were being, we were being nice. Toronto Blue Jays, 89 win season. You made the playoffs. You get the respect. You get the, everybody on the same board, everybody on the same page. Everybody's rooting for the Blue Jays. No more just, hey, this team can't do... No. It was full steam ahead with belief. What's this new slogan? Take October? It was take October time. It was time to take October. John Schneider, he's in the clubhouse. They're popping champagne bottles. And he's going, it's going a deep run. I think he swore too, like a bad boy. Like a bad boy. Got their attention with that one. Ears perked up. They went, whoa, the boss is swearing. I love when the bosses swear. Like, I'm one of you. I'm just like you, swearing. And they all went, yeah, take October, swears, deep runs, let's go. And then, yeah, guess I, uh, I'm going to go through this a little bit, bit by bit. Number one, I actually need to say, I kind of hate when media chastises people and, like, we all have the group think take, but... The why did Gossman pitch that game is actually one of the things that pisses me off the most about this and what has frustrated me maybe more than just about anything this season. Like, Gossman, they were all over it. He was frustrated. But Gossman did something that we all did, or not we, but a lot of us did as fans, which was get wrong or get mad at the wrong person. Kevin Gossman, the first inning, he's nibbling. He's nibbling, he's nibbling, he's walking, guys. He gives up the big bomb. He knows he's behind, and he walks a batter, and he starts barking at the umpire. And we can see that it wasn't a strike. He threw a ball. He threw a ball, and he's yelling at the umpire. The inning ends, and he's still yelling at the umpire. And the crew chief has to go over, and he tells Kevin Gossman, hey, chill out. Chill out, man. You got to go to the dugout, sit down, and chill out for a little while. Put an ice pack on your neck. Grumble in there. Look at the... Go look at your iPad in the dugout, buddy. And if it's wrong, you can come back out here and yell at us some more. All right? Go look at the pad. And Gossman's all pissed. And he's fiery and it's just not working. And as the game goes on, it's very clear that they've picked something up on him. And then, yeah, he ends up getting, he strikes out the side in his final inning. He looks all right. The, the, the line improves a little bit because of the punch outs. 
But ultimately, he did not have a good game. He didn't have a good game. It was not what the Blue Jays needed. They needed their ace to go out there and dominate. But that's the point of what I'm, I'm so upset about with myself and with some of the fans. Is that's like, could Gossman have pitched better? Yes. But the Jays ended up giving up three runs in this ball game. And everyone's pissed off about Kevin Gossman. And everybody's like, oh, Gossman this, Gossman that. Like the Blue Jays built a team around pitching. And this happened so many times when I went down to the ballpark this year where it's like, the Jays pitcher gives up a couple of runs and people turn on the pitcher and they're like, grumble, grumble, grumble. Because the starting pitchers for this team have had to be perfect. They can't do anything wrong. They can't have a bad inning with this baseball team because how it felt last night or whatever, yesterday afternoon into last night, however we're doing this one, it's a 438 start. You feel that run. You feel that third run happen, right? The second bomb from Lewis who congrats to Royce Lewis, greatest player who ever lived, apparently. Uh, greatest guy, just shows up, first playoff game, boom, boom, two bombs. Bo and Vladdy don't have two bombs between them. They actually have less bombs now than Gabriel Moreno has in the postseason, which is a pretty ugly statistic. Was not, was kind of a bit of a twist of the knife yesterday, seeing Gabriel Moreno just looking incredible and then hitting the go-ahead bomb for the Arizona Diamondbacks in a playoff game. And he went, oh, that's nice power. I thought this guy was only a singles hitter. I thought that he had no power. Oh, that was my mistake. That's just what everybody said to me that started peripheral. Uh, I'm so frustrated that I can barely get the words out. That was trying to tell me that this was a win for the Blue Jays in that trade because, no, Gabriel Moreno doesn't hit for power. Sure looked pretty powerful last night. Anyways, I digress. I'm so tired of people just killing the pitchers and questioning the Gossman decision when it's like, dude, it's this offense. This has been this offense all along. Like, these guys don't drive in runs. What was the difference? It was the home run ball. Home run ball for the Twins. Jays end up out hitting these guys. Doesn't matter. They can't cash. And you felt it, right? Like, you felt it. The game goes 3 nothing. And how many Blue Jays fans thought, hmm, that might be it? And it was. Turns out two was enough. But three felt weirdly insurmountable. To the point where, like, I'm texting with people wondering if they should go to the studs in the bullpen while they've got the 3 nothing lead until they score a run. Thinking, hey, man, we talked to Arden yesterday, and a lot of these dudes don't have really great splits when we're talking about pitching them back-to-backs. Whatever, lay down. Lay down and hope for the next game. And I know that's stupid. Again, I understand that that's stupid. But that's where this Blue Jays offense has put, I don't think I'm a smart baseball person. Our next guest is a smart baseball person. But that's where it was put, like, true diehard fans. Somebody who covers the team knows that the decision was right by John Schneider. John Schneider did a great job. He went to his bullpen. He said, this is a must-win game. We're going with our best arms. We're putting ourselves in a position to win. And they were close, man. Like Matt Chapman, a couple of inches, whatever. Bo Bichette. Joe and I disagree on that one, but he's smarter, so I don't want to get too much into it because he'll body bag me. But I was just like, why? felt unnecessary in the moment to me personally, but I didn't play in the major league, so I'm not an analyst for the Blue Jays. I'm not like the most respected guy in Blue Jays media. But it just, I get it. There were moments... But just, man, this offense over and over and over again. And now, yeah, Vladdy and Bo, still no playoff wins. Moreno with more bombs than them. So, yeah, was Gossman good? No. Did they have something on him? Absolutely they did. But <sighs> got to score runs, baby. Got to get some runs. Can't, can't be expecting to win one nothing every night. Joe Siddle, studio analyst for the Blue Jays, uh, former major leaguer. What's up, brother? I'm good. How are you doing? <laughs> you know what? I'm uh, here's what I'll say. I'm super frustrated with that loss and I'm just 
I'm embarrassed with myself how optimistic I am about Barrios tonight. Well, he's pitching in a very familiar place That's where it. he's pitched very well in the past, and all that is great, but you know, regardless Runs. of what he does, it's probably going to be more important what Sonny Gray does and this Blue Jays lineup does because, once again, it came back to that. Dude, this is what I'm saying. Is like <laughs> when Vladdy got stranded, right, and people will focus on Gossman, but when Vladdy gets a leadoff double and he's screaming at the dugout or the bullpen, I can't even get my – he's screaming at the dugout. Um, this is how flustered I am doing the show today. I'm trying to find the energy. He's, fl- he's just fired up. He's yelling at those guys. He's doing his thing. And then the Blue Jays came up. And I'm sure you know this, but do you know how many pitches the Blue Jays saw after that between the next three guys? It was probably less than 10, wasn't it? It was seven combined pitches. Yep. In a huge spot. Games on the line. Your face of the franchise, essentially, gets a leadoff double. That crowd, too, like, you can imagine that if you're just making those at-bats a little stressful, that you're going to start to feel the crowd, right? This is Minnesota. They've won one game out of 19 since 2004 in the postseason. And the Blue Jays just went Bobachette with one of the worst at-bats I've ever seen. And then, boom, boom, just you're out of the inning. And the stress is completely gone from the stadium. Like, to me, that was the moment of the game. It was definitely the moment of game of the game. I agree with you 100% on that. I'm not, I don't get too caught up in the number of pitches, though, because... Griffin Jacks was just pounding the zone. If mm. you think about it, he was using that breaking ball a lot and he was pounding the zone a lot. He threw two of them in the zone to Bo before he got him to chase. And if you think about it, is that not a great approach against Bo? If you can get ahead with those pitches and then expand. And that's exactly what Jacks did. So smart on the twins. I think that was just smart pitching with Kevin. Same thing, you know, got him with the back backup breaking ball. I, I've been one that always felt like I would be trying to attack the zone a little more, Kevin. He's made such a great improvement this year, and he's been very good. But I think they attacked him with soft stuff and in the zone. And then the Kirk at bat was the one that bothered me because it's a first-pitch fastball, and we I don't want to say we've seen this throughout the Blue Jays lineup because it probably happens throughout baseball, but mm-hmm. I watch the Blue Jays more. And it feels like they swing early in counts a lot, too often, however you want to word it, but on pitches that aren't really good hitting pitches. Is it a strike? Yes. But it's a fastball on the outer part of the plate that started away and came back over the outer part of the plate. Not a really great pitch to drive or do much with in the first pitch of an at-bat. So that, to me, is the one I had the biggest problem with. You know, this, this team, we keep talking about that they're, they're a good contact team. They don't strike out a ton. They don't chase a lot. And those things are all great. But sometimes maybe putting it in play is not the best thing. And that's the situation right there where a take and an 0-1 count would have been a far better result than that ball hit to, to the right side. So that was, it was a big moment, and those things happened in big moments. But, yes, it was easy on the pitcher, but at the same time, I, I'm not one to say that, oh, he did it so quickly because he made a lot of really good pitches. So uh, this is a bit of a side tangent one, but I, and, and, like, this is completely anecdotal. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it really did feel like Kirk was swinging at everything yesterday, like – almost a little uncharacteristically from him, a guy that usually does give you some good at-bats. I wonder, you know, you being a former catcher, the workload that he's had, the pressure that's been on him, are you seeing a bit of a different guy right now? Well, I would agree with you on yesterday. Uh, Overall, he's not too bad. But, yeah, we don't normally see him now. And in his defense, Pablo Lopez got that sinker running in and the Mm -hmm. four-seamer up there. Like Those were tough. And then, of course, he got drilled. So, I mean, it it is tough. How much did that hurt him? Ooh, and I don't know what at bat it was. It might have been early. I think his second at bat of the game that he wore right. that one. But that, but the like, one that, for him not to cry. 
Yeah, but the one that he was chasing a lot, he, yeah. he was being in those pitches on, that's very uncharacteristic of him, right? Yeah. Like he's got a really good knowledge of the zone. So can that be, yeah. Uh, I mean, if, if you want to say yes, he's taking on an increased workload. Does fatigue set in? When fatigue sets in, sets in it, it affects you mentally as well. So sure, it could be all of that. But yeah, very uncharacteristic of him in those moments. Yeah, I like when they kept showing the replay of him getting hit, I thought those two things. I went, wow, you got bailed out because you looked overwhelmed in that at bat. But two is, how are you not crying or wincing or making a bigger deal of that? Because that was flush in a horrific area. So kudos to Kirk. I actually shouldn't criticize him for wearing that one because, yeah, I bet you that left the mark today. I'll bet you, like, he was in the showers going, like, look at this. This Isn't this gross? Because, yeah, that just, whew, that gave me the heebie-jeebies. Okay, so let's go back to Gosman here because... Yeah, you brought it up in the post game, and I think everybody has the same consensus or has the same take, which is, hey, this guy had to pitch this ball game. Obviously, he was going to pitch in this ball game. You were the first one to point this out, though, in May, I believe, when the Twins faced the Blue Jays the first time. How, how many hours do you think the Blue Jays probably put into this? And do you feel like, do you feel like they actually had something, or that this was something that just eventually got into Kevin Gossman's head? Well, this goes back a while. I was doing a game in the booth last year with Dan, and mm-hmm. uh, twins were getting to him early, and I brought it up on the broadcast, and I didn't know what it was. I just thought, they're having such good approaches, and that usually tips your mind a little bit. You know, I've been back there behind the plate a lot where you get that feeling, and so watching, I felt that. And then you move into this year, and he had a pretty good one early in the year, um, but then he had that really rough one, and I watched some of the at-bats in that one, and I'm thinking, wow. And I talked about catcher stances because that can be an issue at times, right? We know that that can happen, um, altering your stance based on the pitch. So that's, uh, that's something I was looking at. And, and, uh, but watching yesterday, I became more and more convinced that now, who knows, they may still have something on Kevin in his delivery, but I'm more and more convinced that it's just the approach. If they saw the ball down, they were letting it go. Like so much so that like, so almost to a fault, like Michael A. Taylor struck out the one time by taking a couple down there. And it's almost like, They'll just gamble that it's not not going to catch the zone, and he gambled and lost. But Kevin made the adjustment, and a little bit late, it's like that third, fourth inning where, you know, he's got to throw some of those splitters that carry the zone that are strikes. Not only the fastballs down the zone, but he's got to throw some splitters for strikes too, because then you'll induce some swings, and that's what he did to Jeffers on his strikeout. Threw one early in the zone for a strike, and then as a hitter, you're thinking, okay, if it's going to be there, I got honor it, and he swung. So, but he didn't do that as much early. Their approach was really good, and again, the first plate appearance of the game by Julian of the first inning by Eddie Julian, he gets the walk, and uh, you know the rest is history. But I don't, I don't think necessarily. I'm really tipping my hat right now to their approach, how they stay with it, so disciplined. It's it's remarkable, but they stuck with it, and Kevin wasn't able to adjust early enough. By getting the ball off, I think post game he said he tried, but he wasn't executing. And then finally, around third or fourth inning, he did it, but it was too late. And he's right. Yeah, he looked really frustrated the way that he was wearing it, and then to end the first, yelling at the umpires. Yeah. I went, yeah. oh man, this isn't great. Because like Shy wrote a piece right before game one that has quotes with like George Springer in it, and they're all talking about what a calm presence he is, right? Yeah, that he's not someone that flies off the handle. And then so to see him in game one in the first inning yeah. like that, I was, I was nervous that it wasn't so much the, the, like, yeah, the, he was giving something up, but that it was in his head and that the twins knew it and that, yeah, that they were just being patient. Yeah. I think he was impacted by it for sure, because you don't see that frustration from him. I think he threw the pitch calm device. 
And then he was barking at the umpire a little bit. And then Schneider starts barking from the dugout. And I'm like, geez, guys, biggest stage here, first inning. Let's uh, let's let the game breathe a little bit. It just seemed like everybody was on edge. And that's the part I didn't really like because it's not the old act like you've been there thing because a lot of them haven't necessarily been there. But you saw that from guys that aren't necessarily like that, and especially the guy on the mound. You don't want to see it that early. But I'm sure all of these pressures are mounting on Kevin. And then the first inning – was not going the way he wanted to. And he was probably, here we go again, right? And then it, it probably irks you so much in your head because you're just thinking, what is it that they have? Mm-hmm. If anything at all, as I said, might just be the result of some really good approaches. Man, I talked to Marco Estrada yesterday, and he was mentioning, like, everybody has that team, right? Every pitcher has that team where sure. you just feel like they have something on you. And he felt that way with the Rays. And he went, mm-hmm. it frustrates him still to this day. And he <laughs> thought it was something to do with his wrist placement, where he went, his wrist was maybe an inch higher when he was throwing the changeup than when he was throwing mm-hmm. his fastball. And still to this day, he doesn't know. And he would try to know, and he would pour over the, and I'm like, yeah, that's where Gosman was at. And the more he was talking about it, the more fearful I was for that start going, how could you not be thinking about that? Like, as soon as things start to go wrong, how could that not start to mount in, yeah, your mind? How could that not be at the forefront for someone that is just supposed to be calm, cool, collected, and yeah, throwing their best pitches? To have that eliminated, it had to be tough for Gosman. But again, Three runs. And, and yep. you just said it like, hey, you really respect the approach of the twins and maybe that's the prevailing theory. And, and I think that, you know, the follow-up to that is simply, what do you make of the Jays' approach then here and the game plan that they had for that game? Because they did get base runners on, right? Like they, they out-hit the twins, but once again, they can't cash. Do you view this as an approach issue? Do you view this as a, like a player issue, what we saw yesterday? Like what did you make of just their overall game plan? Well, I think a little bit of a combo. Of course, you're facing good pitching. Uh, Pablo Lopez did a good job. He's got a, that sweeper that he threw a ton, and that's probably a pretty good idea against this Blue Jays lineup, right? Like they don't they don't handle right-handed spin real well. And guess who they get today? Like it's not getting any better today. You're going to see Sonny Gray watch the same game we did yesterday. Mm-hmm. So get ready. But I think it, you know in that first inning, Pablo Lopez is a guy who has had trouble at times in the first inning. I remember talking to Justin Morneau. It's like you know he's had some first innings where it kind of gets away from him a little bit. And wouldn't you know it, Springer gets on with the error, first batter. And right then, Jamie and I and Madison, we were looking at you like, well, first inning trouble, this could be a help, right? This is a guy that can struggle in the first when things go sideways. And what's he do? He proceeds to execute some great pitches to three straight hitters. Where do you go in Brandon Belt? You go up and you go in and you got him to pop up to the catcher. Vladdy, fastball, kind of a defensive two-strike, fastball ups, ground ball to second. And then Bowie got him to expand on a slider way away off the plate with two strikes. Pretty good approach against Bo, wouldn't you say? Exactly. And that's where there are just times when it, it kind of eats at you a little bit because they just feel like they're too easy to pitch to. Yeah. Every hitter has weaknesses. It's how effective the pitcher can be at exploiting those weaknesses. And I thought Pablo did that perfectly in the first inning. And then you go to that eighth inning, which was the best chance of their game with the leadoff double by Vladdy. And then he just mowed him down because, again, I thought he had a very good approach. The pitcher did against hitters weaknesses and he got all three of them relatively easily do you think being on the road is going to help these guys psychologically i don't think it matters where you're playing it's game two of a wild card your back's against the wall it doesn't matter if you're playing in toronto or minnesota or on another planet they know they got to win a game today you just hope that <laughs> you hope that that doesn't make them squeeze the bats a little tighter because they've got a tough opponent sunny gray's one of the best in the american league doesn't mean you can't beat them absolutely not 
Hopefully he misses with a couple of those sweepers or the spin I'm referring to on the plate and they hit a couple out of the park because that's a pretty good recipe to maybe have a chance. I guess like for me anyways, when I looked at this game and I thought to myself, all right, I'm trying to pull positives and looking at what the negatives are. When we were trying to figure out theories as to why the Blue Jays struggled with runners in scoring position this year, I thought at least part of this has to be a mental component, right? Like it just continues to happen over and over again that... And this is sort of what we're talking about with Gossman is your concentration is broken in these moments. Maybe for a quiet second, it creeps in like, oh my God, here we go again. And, and I couldn't help but feel after a game like that. Yes, they're all turning the page. Yes, they're professionals. Yes, a lot of these guys have already been in the postseason before. But I did wonder if, yeah, just a loss that way where it was just so emblematic of so much of the frustrations this season, how that might carry over from game to game. I can tell you how you're feeling, J.D., and how the entire Blue Jays fan base is feeling. And that feeling is that, oh, my gosh, when is this lineup going to do something? When are they going to get to the post? The guys in the clubhouse are feeling that, too. These guys play the game. We watch the game. They play it. You think they don't know what what the problem is? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I thought what Pablo Lopez did yesterday was, you know, not to the, uh, the degree of dominance, but what Luis Castillo did to them in game one last year. It's like four seamer up. Sinker in, sliders away, and it it kind of just handcuffed them. And those are pretty good approaches, as long as you don't make too many mistakes over the middle to give them a chance to to run into one. But you know, it's almost uh, that that game when you look at a three-one final. You look at the the home runs winning the game. Well, guess what? Minnesota is a team that is more effective at hitting the ball out of the park than the Blue Jays. They're more toward the top of the league, and the Blue Jays are more toward the middle of the league. And uh, that, that's the difference in the ballgame. Now, can that change today on a, any given day? Absolutely. The Blue Jays might hit four home runs today and win the game, and hopefully that's the case. But mm. it's just hard to imagine that happening, and that's why I felt coming into the postseason, it's hard for me to imagine this lineup just going ahead and all of a sudden firing on all cylinders once the postseason starts. I mean, you just can't flick a switch, especially when you start to enter the part of the season where you're facing – higher caliber pitching. Well, that was just it, right? And I, I know everybody's record is worse against teams above 500, but yeah, you looked sure. at the Jays' record uh, against teams above 500 is not good this season. And it felt like there was a lot of games like this where it was the big stud pitcher and you got that sinking feeling of, well, you better figure this out because you're not going to be facing bums in the playoffs. Like this isn't going to be the, you know, the third guy in the rotation for the Oakland Athletics today. This is going to be Pablo Lopez. This is going to be Sonny Gray. And, and so... You know, this the question I was asking people yesterday, and it was first posed by Blake Murphy with uh, your boy Chris Black, which is, is this team better suited for the playoffs this year than it was a year ago? And, and I kind of felt like a lot of people thought yes because of the reasons that we point to with a lot of playoff baseball teams, right? Which is, hey, is the defense improved? Yeah, it's elite. Hey, do they have good starting pitching? Yeah, absolutely they do. Do they have a deep bullpen? 100% better bullpen than they've ever had. And yet that power quotient just, it almost feels like it levels a lot of this out, Joe. I don't really buy into the old pitching defense wins championships anymore. I used to be a big believer in it, mm. especially as a catcher, that defense was my priority. And it, you know what it does? It keeps you in games. Mm. It keeps you in games, but doesn't necessarily win games. You have to have that offensive component. And especially in this sport of baseball where we keep seeing how prevalent, I just know from working the playoffs for so many years now, even when the Blue Jays are eliminated, how prevalent the home run is, the long ball, like it, it wins. Teams that go deep don't just have pitching and defense necessarily. You probably have to have some sort of balance in, in all regards, but you got to be able to hit the ball at ballpark. And for whatever reason, the Blue Jays had that power outage this year compared to last season's team that was the top five offensive club in baseball. 
And that's the, that's the concern. I thought maybe going into this series, to be honest with you, they were getting the right opponent just because it's the Twins that, you know, they're a power-hitting team, but they also strike out. And mm-hmm. you can, you can you know, when you're kind of one-dimensional like that, I think good pitching can dominate that. And Kevin obviously didn't dominate it, but I thought they would have a good shot. But, you know, maybe I was wrong. Maybe playing a team with fewer left-handed weapons in the lineup against the Blue Jays' right-handed pitchers would, would have been better. You know, Tampa didn't have as many, aside from, say, like a Josh Lowe, not a whole lot of left-handed damage in the lineup. So maybe I was wrong in that regard, but I guess the bottom line is, too, it's not about the Blue Jays pitching against opposing lineups right now. It's about the opposing pitching against the Blue Jays lineup. Man, I felt there was a lot of, there were some parallels with drawing the Twins to the Leafs drawing the Florida Panthers in the second round. I brought it up on a different show, but there was a little bit of like fist pumping with the fan base where they were like, nice, sitting in that third wild card spot, go and face Minnesota instead of having to go through the AL East. And I went, hmm. uh, I never love it. I never love it. When, wish for. I know that's just it. I, f- I felt bad. And I felt bad because deep down, that's the way I felt too. I was like, yes, avoid the Rays. Of course. Don't go right? to the house of horrors. That's the trial. Right. Go face the team that never wins playoff games. That that's what their legacy is in Minnesota is like, Hey, what do you know about the Minnesota twins? I'm like, Oh, the team that loses to the Yankees every year in the playoffs. Like every time they've ever been finds a way to lose to the Yankees. Yeah. I know them. I know the twins. So yeah, I got a little bit of buyer's remorse with that too. Okay. So yeah, speaking of the like pitching profiles and you know, the, the way that this is going to line up with teams, do you, do you feel like the Jays? Yeah. Getting a look at Sonny Gray right after Pablo Lopez knowing that that is likely going to remain their plan of attack. Is that going to be essentially the key to the game to you is just like that approach and knowing that's what's coming. Well, Brios is going to have to be really good Mm -hmm. to keep them in it. (laughs) And that's the pressure that's put on the blue Jays pitchers. And it's been happening most of the year, right? The starters have so much pressure to, to be perfect. And then the relievers come in. There's usually not any room for error because you've got to keep the game close and, yeah, so it's going to be Sonny Gray against this Blue Jays lineup. And, you know, you can say every day, how are they going to approach him? Well, how are they going to approach him? They're going to try to hit him. Like, you have a, a game plan against a starting pitcher every day. I think the difference in Sonny Gray might be a little bit in the velocity to, uh, compared to what they saw from Lopez. Mm-hmm. Maybe that'll be a, a better thing. Maybe if Sonny Gray misses with 93 on the plate, they get to it, whereas Pablo had enough velocity that, you know, he would get some fly balls and even some ground balls. The fastballs may have beat the guys at times. Maybe – Sonny Gray's 93 won't, but uh, he's pretty good. And that'll, that's going to be tough, but you have to try to, I would say, try to get on his fastball when he does throw it and obviously try to get something that's on the meaty part of the plate. Or in, I shouldn't say the meaty part of the plate. How about the meaty part of the zone that you are good mm-hmm. at, whether that's middle, whether that's the outer half, inner half, whatever the case may be. But, but you can't cover anything against really good – I'm sorry, you can't cover everything against really good pitchers. So you have to kind of pick and choose a little bit, and that's the only problem is you get deeper – and just like with Lopez yesterday, I mean, you get a little deeper, you're probably going to see more, a few more of those sweepers. So mm-hmm. Gray's not going to be any different in that regard other than the, the veal. More of a location and movement and lo- sinker guy, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, uh, they've struggled hitting those middle middles this year too. <laughs> it's, <just> like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, I would have liked it if they were able to execute some of those a little bit more. Okay, I, I, I'm not going to debate you on the bow play because I'm just going to say, you're right. I watched the post game and I went, yep, all right, that's Siddle's opinion and Shipman, they both have yeah. the same one. I was like, fine. <laughs> I was like, I'm, no. I will change my mind. Here's my only thought on it though, is you mentioned in it, you go, hey, and then you had Chapman up. 
And Chapman drove that ball to the outfield and people are like in 13 ballparks, that's a home run, whatever. But I did wonder with that play, I don't think he's thinking this consciously in the moment, like, oh, this guy's up because it's a bang, bang play, right? But I do wonder if your inability to score runs as a team, that that bleeds into a moment like that where Bo's going, I have to force this play. I have to try to create something because we're just not the team where I'm going to stand on third base and we're going to get the runs driven in. 100%. Absolutely, that goes into it. And, you know, just I would say this is one of those 50 50 plays. So the fact that you disagree with me is fine, JD. You can do that, you know. Here's the thing, though. I I know I can do that, and you're a nice guy (laughs) for saying it. But the thing is, is to the audience, it's just, it's a bad look for me, you know? Like, it's kind of tough. It's a tough look for me. I don't think anyone's going to be like, JD's right. No, it was a very debatable play. And I totally get where people are saying you can't make that mistake. And part of that, too, is that. You can't make that mistake because these Blue Jays have made so many outs on the bases this year, and it's cost them so dearly, and there it cost them again and ended an inning. Well, I got news for you. Matt Chapman's hitting eight for a reason right now, and that's nothing personal against Matt. It's just the way things have gone for him. And with two outs to drive a runner in from third, that's not easy, let me tell you. So whether that was going into Bo's decision or not, I, I would think he knows when he's on base, where he's at in the batting order. But I thought, and, and the whole third base coach thing, like that's not a play where you pick up your third base coach. I know Luis Rivera was putting the stop sign up, but that's a play that's right in front of you, like quite literally is right to Bo's left. And he's coming toward third, and then he's just getting toward, and he sees the ball go under his glove. He rounds third, he lifts. He's not picking up a third base coach. The ball's 20 feet from him. Mm-hmm. So those are the things that, that I think as a, maybe as a former player, maybe even some former players might disagree with me, but as a former player, when you're in the heat of that moment, running from second to third, the way that was all transpiring, the last thing you're doing is look at third base coach because the ball's right there. So I thought he took a gamble and lost. Now I'm always one to say that the scoreboard tells you everything, the inning, the outs, the score, it'll tell you when you should take a risk. And that the score and inning right there might have said not to take a risk, but the reason I did is because of how far Correa had to come the fact that you just said it, the Blue Jays are not scoring runs. They're at the bottom of the order. And I think, I mean, it was a close play. It wasn't really close, but it was close. And I thought mm-hmm. Correa just made an unbelievable play. If he comes up barehand like that and doesn't come up with the ball cleanly, he's safe. If he comes up and does that and the throws two or three feet to the right and the catcher has to come back and tag, maybe he said, like, everything was perfect. So, I, again, I go back to the fact that this team's not scoring runs. And you're at the bottom of the order, and that's the time I gamble because you're trying to spark your guys. So I know you got to run. I got one more for you, though, for tonight yeah. with Barrios. Um, how quick is the hook, and what are you turning to right away? Like, does this become a, a Kikuchi game? I, I Like, I, I was listening to broadcast yesterday, and I, I don't know if I just missed it, but they were talking about how the Game 3 starter was not a certainty anymore, that it wasn't Bassett, potentially, that I don't... I, again, I couldn't really... I don't remember if I wasn't following it or if it wasn't closed out, what ended up happening. But yeah, does this become a Kikuchi game at the first sign of trouble? Is this your bullpen immediately? Like, what is the leash for you tonight? Yeah, first of all, the leash is short. You don't want to be getting down three or four nothing tonight, that's for no. sure, especially with Sonny Gray on the mound. Now, sometimes that happens fast. <laughs> I mean, it might be a walk, a base hit, and a bomb, and you're down three nothing, right? Like, you can't control it sometimes. But I think Kikuchi could be very at play. <laughs> I think the reason why, you know, you've got Mazin Cabrera down there, and that's critical against a team with these lefties. But I think for sure Kikuchi's in play because he's a lefty and because if Barrios goes two and a third, 
Kikuchi could come in and go three or four, right, mm-hmm. to bridge that gap. And I mean quality-wise, depending on how he's pitching. But because he's a lefty, that might be a good matchup against this team to neutralize those guys. It'll force Baldelli to go to his bench because that's what he'll do. He'll do it early. He's not afraid to platoon guys and go to that bench early. And if you can get more righties in there, then the Blue Jays have the bigger righties coming in later in the game. So you might have that platoon advantage. So I could see Kikuchi early. I don't um, necessarily see Bassett right now because if Barrios has trouble, you're bringing in another righty that, yeah, I would just take my chances. If it, I would use Kikuchi today against the Twins to try to win a game and take my chances with Bassett tomorrow. As, a, as the starter. And if I don't use Bassett in this series, oh well. But right now, I think Kikuchi could be that little wild card out of the bullpen being left-handed. Ugh, this is the weird thing about doing this show in this time slot is as soon as I'm saying goodbye to you, I'm like, oh, this game's so soon. I'm going to have to watch this game. <laughs> like, anyways. <laughs> oh, okay. Joe, thanks for coming on today. I always appreciate it. Love watching you guys on the broadcast. And yeah, thanks, man. All right, man. You guys have a good day and uh, enjoy. Let's uh, let's hope it ends a different way today. Take yeah, care. I think it will. See you, Joe. There he goes. Joe Siddle, Blue Jays color and studio analyst. And yeah, again, this is how I'm feeling. I, you know me. I'm very truthful. Uh, I don't, I'm not trying to incite false hype and I'm not trying to drag people down. Last night was a gut punch. That sucked. That was such a drag of a baseball game. Like there was just, it was very few moments of just even feelings of like slight optimism, right? Kiermaier drives in that run, and I went, hell yes. That felt so good. Vladdy gets the leadoff double. I went, hell yes, Vladdy. Hell yes. That was it. That was pretty much it. They make that error, Bo rounds third, and even that moment was like, suck, gone immediately. Bo's thrown out. And you're left going, what could have happened there? And for me, like I didn't like that play because I'm hoping for the big inning. You're down a couple of runs, and I'm thinking, dude, you, you don't just need one here. And yeah, you can make the case, chip away, whatever, small ball. I'm just, this Blue Jays offense is not good enough for me to trust that they're going to have another big inning like this. They just had the big error. And to me, that, I'm not going to say every error is like 2015, but it's just, you're in that stadium, right? Twins fans, when things start to go poorly, you'd have to think that the energy in that building would shift drastically. And this is one of the things I love about postseason in all sports, but especially baseball, where it's just there's those moments of tension, right? Pitcher holding on to the ball. Watch it. Go, go. If you watch any of those other games yesterday, you saw it. You saw it with the Rays with Glass now yesterday. He cooked a pitch five feet over Pinto's head to score a, a runner yesterday. Why? Because he got tight because the bases were loaded. You're, uh, to me, it's like you're hoping for that moment. That's why I didn't like Bo turning and running. Was it a tough play? Did Correa have to make one? Yep, he did. But I just, I want to put the pressure on the Minnesota Twins. I want to put the pressure on their starting pitcher, especially in a moment like that where they make a mistake and the guy sitting there with it, the starting pitcher is pissed off. He's like, man, I would have just gotten out. Of, I got the ball. That, we were out of this inning, dude. Make a play. You're a major league baseball player. Make a play. And instead, you just shift the momentum so hard for them. You take all that psychological pressure off. You go, whew, everybody chill out on the Twins, and now everybody on the Blue Jays, all of a sudden, your nervousness is spiked. And, and I do think this is real. Like, this is why we talk about clutch. This is why postseason sports are so fun. You get to see kind of who has, who has it, who's able to rise to that occasion, who can take that adrenaline like the Marco Estradas, and use it to their benefit versus who uses it and crumbles. Who uses it and just says, uh, hey, I, nope, I'm melting down here. I'll call, get the manager out here. Get him to point to the bullpen. 
show me a shot of their pitching coach on the telephone going down to their bullpen. So that one was tough for me, man. That, one, that moment was tough. But anyways, yesterday sucked. But I am, I'm weirdly optimistic about tonight, okay? I'm going to talk to Dallas Braden in about 20 minutes or so. And what, I, what I'm curious to hear from him from a starting pitcher's vantage point is, hey, how much of a benefit is it that Barrios, he's the guy that's on the broadcast yesterday going, yeah, my son's from here. Uh, he was born here. I'm a Minnesota guy. I've been on this mound a million times. I don't feel, this doesn't feel as different to me as it would somebody else. I've got a routine here in Minnesota. I'm all right. And for, for Barrios, like his record against, we did all these things, right? Of, hey, everybody's bad against the Twins. Everybody's struggled against the Twins, right? Well, 23 plate appearances from the Twins this year against Barrios, 614 OPS against. He's, he's handled these guys well. And if I'm looking at, like, the positives from yesterday, if I'm trying to think about, okay, Gossman, we all thought, dude, he's getting tattooed. He can't find it right now. He did get through four innings with only three runs against, like, and two of them are big home runs. Like, it's two long balls. If Barrios can limit the long ball today against this club, where, again, he didn't concede a home run to the Twins this year, I'm feeling pretty good about the Blue Jays' chances to scratch a couple over. And I don't think Sonny Gray. I, I get it. He's good. He's had a great season. I, I just like the Jays' chances against him more than I did against Pablo Lopez yesterday. Both teams ended up having to go to the bullpen and using their leverage arms. So it's not like the Twins blew them out and the Blue Jays were the only team that was like scraping and clawing, trying to get back in the ballgame by using their relief pitchers. Minnesota used their guys too. I don't love that Arden told us the stats about the Blue Jays relievers back-to-backs, but I will say he did say to me yesterday, I texted him, I went, what are Hicks' numbers in a back-to-back? And he said, they're actually one of the better ones on the team. He threw 25 pitches though. My thought is it's all hands on deck and they'll probably go to him again if they really feel like they need him. Still, one of the harder guys to actually envision in this baseball game, given the workload that he had yesterday. But like, Swanson comes in, feeling good about the way Chad Green pitched. The bullpen was great. Five innings, just complete shutdown city of the Minnesota Twins. That's given me some optimism. So if you're Jose Barrios tonight, and you can find a way to give the Blue Jays five innings, my God. Just give them five innings. It's so tough. Joe said it. I said it off the top that the expectations for the pitching staff, for the starting pitchers are, hey, just don't give up any runs. Is that cool? Hey, is it cool that you give up zero runs? But really, the threshold for tonight, I actually do feel like it's, hey, man, can you give them five of two or less? Ideally, five of one. Like, well, I mean, ideally, five of nothing. It's stressful, but I want it. And everybody in the city wants it. And I just, I got to believe that the Bo and Vladdy, you know, they're going to win one playoff game here. They're going to get one playoff game here in, in their tenure. (laughs) They're going to beat the Minnesota freaking twins. But yeah, that was a tough one yesterday. And then just like psychologically, just put that pressure back on the twins, get it to a game three where the, the haunted house that is target field 
That is those fans. Get it there and, and put all the pressure on them. Put the pressure in the building. The only question is, yeah, if, if the other, that's the other thing too. If Barrios goes, if Barrios is able to go five, then you don't need to use Kikuchi. And then you would potentially have him in a game three. I'm pretty terrified of the prospect of having to use Bassett in game three. I hope I eat my words. If it happens, shouldn't even be talking really about game three, but yeah, given his numbers against the twins and the way that they profiled and the way that, yeah, those lefties looked yesterday. I'm, I'm not thrilled about the idea of the, the Bassett game. I guess if you save Kikuchi today, you'd be able to use him in that game three quick if Bassett runs into trouble. But this is our whole thing is the Jays really can't run into too much trouble because they're just not able to recover in these baseball games. They're not able to get back in it. And yeah, twins, Michael Taylor, man. Oof. Couple just beautiful outs for him yesterday. Both center fielders were amazing. And yeah, I actually, I hope the Blue Jays can bring back Kevin Kiermeyer. Just the way I feel watching him when he's at the plate in a big moment, a playoff game, I feel like he's going to give you a good at-bat. I think he's just like, he's thoughtful at the dish. He doesn't feel overwhelmed by the moment. You trust him in center field. I know there's the stuff about the turf and maybe he doesn't want to play on that. Maybe it's done for him here already. I've got Morosi at 1.30. Got to keep practicing that. I've got Morosi at 1.30. And I'll ask him that question just because I do think it's relevant today. I do think it's relevant to ask, you know, where the pressure points are in this baseball game. Like whether or not there are actual real stakes for the Blue Jays tonight. Because I kind of got to figure there are. You won 89 games, and if you lose because you didn't score any runs, do you weirdly go into an offseason where you're basically going reverse of what you did a year ago? You're completely course correcting again and saying, well, wait, we got the defense, and we got the pitching, and we got the bullpen, but now we actually have to go back and we have to go get the power. And like, how do you do that? You move Dalton Varsho to center field if Kiermaier leaves, and then you try to find a bopper out and left. But... Yeah, I think that you might need more than that. And you saw too, this is the other thing I, I wanted to mention before we take the break. And this will be the last thing I mentioned on this game, like myself, because I'll talk a little bit about it with Dallas. I do want to talk about the pitching psychology of this. And like, he's a guy that knows Bassett really, really well, really, really well. He's the guy that came on and basically told us everything that ended up coming to fruition with Chris Bassett when he came on and did the show right after the free agency signing. He's a big believer in him. So I'm guessing that he doesn't mind handing him the ball in game three. But... If you're going to do the, hey, the Blue Jays didn't... Did you guys see Cal Raleigh of the Mariners yesterday? He he was like, sometimes you got to go add. You got to go add a star player. And he basically referenced the Texas Rangers and how Jerry DePoto and co, his GM. Yeah, I know you got it. I'm just going to say, I'm going to wrap it up. I won't, I won't play the audio because I can just paraphrase him. He basically said, like, you got to go out and get stud players. You got to go out and get stars. You got to add. And then Jerry DePoto had to go to the podium and say, was like, oh, yeah, I think what he's saying is we try to add, we've turned it around here. We've done a really good job here. I'm like, all right. That's one of the faces of your franchise. That's your catcher. That's one of your leaders in the clubhouse saying you got to add a little bit more. And on the players, the Mariners, it's like, hey, if you would have put your team in a better position, they probably would have tried to add a little bit more. I think he was referencing offseason stuff, whatever. But I couldn't help but think about the Blue Jays trade deadline yesterday. It was impossible not to when Whit Merrifield comes in to pinch it for Dalton Varsho. And you go, that's pretty much your only bullet. The only other option was Davis Schneider, who we all love. We all like Davis Schneider, okay? Everybody's hoping Davis Schneider's doing well, but go look at his numbers leading into the postseason before the meaningless game against the Tampa Bay Rays at the end of the year. He struggled. And there were a lot of people, I'm just, 
this is just what other people have told me in baseball. There were a lot of people that cover, like, whatever, that are around the team, do the, that had questions about David Schneider's sustainability. And I think, obviously, that's pretty natural given where he was selected. He's a AAA player, all that different stuff. But, yeah, David Schneider was not a guaranteed top prospect guy. Like, this was a lottery ticket that worked out for them for a little while. Maybe he's something. I don't want to write him off because I, I'm, I'm rooting for him. But it's pretty clear that if he's your other bullet on the bench, a triple A AAA guy from Buffalo, that you probably didn't put yourself in the best position when it comes to having some lineup flexibility and bringing in Whit Merrifield. What did you think? You thought that he was going to hit a home run? You thought he was going to be like Matt Stairs, pinch hitting and putting one over the fence where you fear this guy? No, they're still missing that bopper on the bench. They really, like, where was Paul DeYoung yesterday? Didn't really have an impact, did he? Probably didn't matter as much as it would have going out and getting that bat, getting a credible bat. And, and everybody said at the time, like, who are you going to get? Who are you going to get? Well, I, I think a major leaguer would have felt a little bit better in that spot. I think anybody would have felt better than Whit Merrifield, who, since he got injured, kind of felt like a corpse down the stretch, like clearly was not the same guy down the stretch. And David Schneider, a AAA guy who got kind of exposed and looked a little bit out of his depth at times, adjusting to some of the major league pitching down the stretch. So you had like two guys who were really struggling offensively who were not looking the same as they did when they either first half Merrifield or first half of his major league tenure Schneider. And those were your two options. That's what you had. So yeah, I couldn't help but think about that yesterday. It was a little bit annoying. Yesterday was just annoying from all around. Every, it checked every single box. Runners in scoring position, in my opinion, base running mistake-ish, let's just say, fine. Starting pitching, people turning on the starting pitcher who didn't look good but also didn't absolutely murder the team because they got him out at the right time. They couldn't, by the way, when he struck out the side, that's the other thing too. You couldn't let him see Royce Lewis or a third time. And, and you wanted to give a clean inning to the reliever. So I was fine with that decision. Even though it was like, oh, maybe he's cooking something now. It's like, no, 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 man. Even the second inning, right? He gave up a loud out and then he got a strikeout that was a gift. That was like a foot outside the plate. He struggled in that baseball game. They had to get him out of there. He gave them the four innings. That was it. But yeah, it was the frustration of the starting pitcher feeling like they had something on him, watching your calm guy, your ace, get manhandled and chased early, watching the team fail to score with runners in scoring position, watching the base running mistake, the seven pitches right after you felt a little bit of momentum with Vladimir Guerrero Jr., watching the bullpen keep you in the game so you're just there. There was no moment where you could kind of check out and just say, oh, on to tomorrow. You just grinded out that entire game. Gabriel Moreno hitting a home run to give his team a lead in the night game. All of the people that tweeted that, hey, get Roman Moreno now has more home runs than Vladimir Bell. It's like, yeah, 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 cool. Good stuff. The hurt guy, Royce Lewis, being the hero, a guy who was day-to-day and wasn't even sure if he was going to be on the playoff roster. Like, you can already see how that's going to lead into Minnesota Twins lore if they end up winning this series, right? Is here's the piece on Minnesota's athletic page on how Royce Lewis recovered just in time to make his two home run miracle debut against the Toronto Blue Jays. Don't share that article with me when it comes out. I don't want to read it. I'll be fully into the leaf season, burying my head in the sand and getting excited to watch the Raptors with Otto Porter Jr.'s healthy this year, baby. Chemistry, Porter Jr., Schroeder coming off of that fever run. What could go wrong? The, the Seahawks are good. That is nice.
Seahawks are, are good. They're down like their entire offensive line and they're still whooping ass. And Devin Witherspoon, I didn't even talk about him yesterday because I'm a good, loyal company man who only talked about the Blue Jays. And I, I do this show for the people. I, I know the people don't want to hear about how Devin Witherspoon had one of the best games the corners ever played and that Troy Aikman compared him to Deion Sanders. And I think that he, like, maybe he's better at it. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. The sample size was Dion that good? Did Dion have a pick six and a sack and that many tackles and his first meaningful football game, like his first night game? I don't know. All I know is that Devin Witherspoon, could he be Depoy this year and rookie of the year? Defensive rookie of the year. Could he double dip? Possibly. Anyways, yeah, Seahawks are good, but yeah, Blue Jays, please. I got a good feeling tonight, all right? I got a good feeling. Let's take a quick break. Let's come back. Sports. Sportsnet 590, The Fan. All right, quick one here before we get to Dallas Braden and John Morosi in the 1 o'clock hour or just the next block. If you're listening on the podcast, subscribe and review. Do all those nice things. This is your first time listening because you're like, I normally listen to the radio at 12 to 2. Who is this guy? I hate him. If you're not feeling that way, go to the podcast page, subscribe, leave five stars, jump on in. Yeah, you can listen to it during this time slot later at a different time. Anyways, um, I need to talk about this Mark Davis video at some point. Maybe that's going to be a tomorrow thing now or, you know, later in the week thing because I planned on doing that here. But yeah, there's this weird trend of people yelling at people in luxury suites lately. I kind of like it. (laughs) I'm a big fan. All right, quick break. Let's come back and let's chat with uh, one of my favorites, Dallas Braden, former Major League Baseball pitcher. And, of course, owner of uh, Perfect Game, co-host of Baseball is Dead, Dallas Braden next. Dallas Braden in a couple minutes. Good guy. Didn't want to do his interview from the car. Respectful move. Too many people do that, and they think it's fine. And we, we allow it. We allow it because it's free time from people, Right. We're always bothering. Hey, will you please come on and do this show? And now here's, here's the thing too. Now there's a million shows. There's a million. It used to just be radio and then a couple of podcasts. And so you got asked to do these things. It was no big deal. I can't imagine what some of these guys phones are like. It must be so annoying (laughs) because I get asked to do stuff and I'm flattered. I go, yeah, of course, but I get asked to do a couple Canadian markets and then the odd time, Someone will reach out and be like, hey, can you talk about the Raptors in Australia? And I'm like, sure. Hey, can you do Cleveland radio at night? Can you do Miami to set up the playoff series with the Florida? Like stuff like that will happen from time to time. But it's very infrequent. And I always say yes, because I used to be a radio producer. But if you're those guys, just daily, just your phone being beaten down. You can't remember your wife asking you to pick up groceries because 38 producers from... 38 podcasts and radio stations are like, hey, just checking back in. Just want to see if it's all right, if we can see you to come on the 38th podcast. Don't you remember us? And then this guy has the actual kindness to not do it from the car, which again, it always sounds pretty bad. Like there's two things, guys who have the headphones in, they're like, is this all right if I walk in the wind? And you're like, nah, it's not. It's an audio medium. 
I can't hear you if this was a phone call. This would be frustrating. There's like thousands and thousands of people listening. And two is clearly the car. And it's like you hear the turn signal like. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm paying attention for sure. <laughs> no, I'm definitely paying attention to you and not dying is of equal importance to me. Both of these things I'm just equally locked in on. So, yeah, that was pretty in a couple minutes. All right. Two, two quick things going in tonight. Both these pitchers have been pretty studly against these opposing teams. Sonny Gray has been quality. He's going to be up for Cy Young this year. He's not going to win, but he's going to be a candidate. He's going to be a finalist. And then Barrios has, yeah, pretty much dominated his old club. When he faced him last year, he had one of his best starts, right? The, the seven-inning game where he gave up two. He struck out 13. You don't need seven, but you need the two. You absolutely need the two. And yeah, against like the twins that are playing tonight, he's also been excellent. There's six of 41 against him. Twins players that have faced Jose Barrios are six and 41 against Jose Barrios. He's, he's got the stuff to do this. He's executed against this team before. This is his spot. He gets to show up to Minnesota and he gets to spoil, hopefully, please spoil the party because man, it sucks. It sucks. It's one thing when you lose and you go, yeah, the Blue Jays are in year one in a pandemic year and it's the Tampa Bay Rays and no one expected them to win. Hilarious that looking back on that series, the big point of optimism was the way Nate Pearson looked. It was like, yo, you know what? This Jays season, it was a good year. And yes, it, Rio was hurt, but at least Nate Pearson pitched against the Rays and looked awesome. So we've got that to look forward to. That certainly will show up at some point moving forward here. And then Jays, a lot of Blue Jays face Sonny Gray. A lot of Jays. Jays in lineup tonight, 15 to 74. 15 to 74 against Sonny Gray. He's been good. He's been good against them, but not as good as Barrios has been against those twins. A couple of these guys on the Blue Jays have seen him a lot. Kiermaier's seen him a lot. George Springer's seen him a lot. And then Matt Chapman has sneakily had a ton of success against Sonny Gray. So you're kind of hoping that, I don't know, that materializes into something. At least, hey, at least Chapman drove a ball yesterday. At least Chapman made contact on some out, like, Chapman, him being an actual passable baseball player, pretty critical for this team right now. Pretty critical. But anyways, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm just putting a lot of faith in the fact that George Springer, they brought him in here to be a playoff stud. He's seen Sonny Gray over 30 times. Kind of feels like this needs to be a Springer game. Honestly, this feels like, I know we're talking about Vladdy and Bo still don't have a playoff win, and that's frustrating. Now they have less playoff bombs than Gabriel Moreno. Pain, pain. Oh, just excruciating pain. Why did that have to happen? I was like about to go to sleep and I just saw the, hey, Diamondbacks, we won. And it's just a picture of Gabriel Moreno pointing to the sky after he hit his jack. I went, thank you for this. Thank you. It's not enough suffering to watch my baseball team lose in excruciating fashion. Slow death, right? Where they just bled out slowly over nine innings. Can't scratch over two runs. And then Gabriel Moreno's like, bang, look how easy that is. That sucked. But yeah, I kind of feel like this is the vets tonight. Springer, Kiermaier, both those guys have seen Sonny Gray a ton. 
I loved Kiermaier yesterday. Chapman, ton of success against him, has been brutal since the very first month of the season. But my God, vets, show up. This team's supposed to be about maturity. Have some mature approach at the plate. Find a way against Sonny Gray. And yes, Barrios, you got to be a stud. Anyways, one of my favorite guests. And Hall of Fame, nice guy. Doesn't want to do the interview from the car. Just a true blue actual podcast host. Of course, baseball is dead podcast. Owner of a perfect game. It's former major leaguer Dallas Braden. What's up, brother? How we doing, man? How you guys doing? Bad. <laughs> hey, what are you? It's not good. <laughs> what are you talking about? Dude, we lost. You tweeted yesterday. I saw yours as well because I'm a sycophant. I'm like look, reading all the tweets, you know, just angry, right? Doom scrolling. And I saw yours. We we're like, Royce Lewis, blah, blah, blah. He's amazing. First win for the Twins in two decades. You know what sucks? Losing to the team that is famous for losing playoff games. Like that reeks. I hated that. And so, yeah, good for Twins fans, blah, 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 whatever. I don't care. I, I just, that stung Toronto. That, that hurt me. That hurt me deep in my soul that Toronto gave them their first one in two decades. You don't want to be the loser team that lets the losers over the hump. No, that's tough. That That's tough. Like, like I said, the twins, I mean, they had a, they had a lot riding on that game there, right? They had a lot, right. As, as I mentioned, almost two decades worth of sorrow, worth of a playoff or playoff win drought. So I, I can understand why watching that unfold is is troublesome, is a is a dagger in the heart, simply because of how things unfolded. I think yesterday as well. I mean, you mentioned, and I was listening to you. You know, pour the emotion out. Which, hey, that's what we're here for, JD. Mm-hmm. Pour it out, baby. Pour it out. All right. I'll hold back. But when we're talking, we're talking about. We're talking about George Springer at the top of the lineup, the Ofer. You you mentioned Chapman and the struggles. Those were two guys that I highlighted specifically that if the Blue Jays were going to win this series, if they were going to make noise, they were going to need help from those two guys because, you know, look, uh, it, it is what it is with Vlad Guerrero Jr. You know, call it a down year. I, I'm sure that's it's an obvious statement for folks who have watched the season unfold, you know, not quite the power productivity you would expect out of a guy like Vlad. Um, he, he smoked a ball last night, got a double and you could see the emotion, mm-hmm. you know, when he got to second base and you could see the look on his face, kind of like, come on, like, let's go. Like I finally was able to barrel one here and it mm-hmm. counted. Let's go. What are we doing here? And, and that's kind of, that's the dagger. That is the dagger is you could almost see the offense trying to will itself um, in a game where it just wasn't happening. And then you mentioned, I listened to you mention, you know, having a mature approach at the plate. That was something that we saw yesterday against the Toronto Blue Jays. That was something that the Minnesota Twins did a wonderful job of because with what Gossman features, the rule of thumb and we talk about this with guys that throw knuckleballs, guys that throw splits. If it's high, let it fly. If it's low, let it go. And we all know what that means. If it's up, you can hammer that because it's probably not going to have the life or the depth on the pitch that it would if it's a little lower. You're going to have a tough time getting to that pitch, hitting with authority, elevating it. All of the things that allow you to score runs when you hit that pitch, those things are very tough to do against Gosman and that split. When the fastball is located down, and that split's wiping you out, it's a long day. Well, they spit on it. They spit on it. They spit on it. They took pitches. They were extremely patient. They saw him up, and they got to a point where, look, Jays had to make a decision. We got to get him out of here. It's three runs early. It's four innings. We're, we can't afford to let this get any bigger. Mm-hmm. And, and that was, uh, I think, a great reflection of the approach you would like to see 
the Jays take into a game today against a guy like Sonny Gray, who is a master manipulator. Like this dude, when, when he was a youngster with us in Oakland, this was a guy who it was, it was great. It was so much fun to watch him throw bullpens because he was out there just manipulating, just moving, inventing new pitches on the fly. Something he is well known for doing throughout the entirety of his career. So it's, it's, I think it would behoove the Jays to take a, um, a patiently aggressive approach. If that makes any sense, you see fastballs early, you should probably get that a swing off if you can. Otherwise he's going to start spinning the baseball, start pulling strings. And that's when he's just start screwing yourself into the ground against a guy like Sonny. Yeah, man. I I'm not again, playoff baseball is always just like, you know, uh, screws being put into your thumbs when your team is struggling. But yeah, watching Sonny Gray do this and having two games in a row, if they can't produce or they have some bad ABs, I don't know. It's just, yeah, I, like, I have to do a show every day and tomorrow's show will be bad. Like, I said if the Twins, I said if the Twins were going to have a shot at this series, they were going to have to win the Sonny Gray game. Yeah. And unfortunately, it's Sonny Gray now who is in charge of potentially shipping them off to the ALDS. And mm. That is not quite the seat I wanted the Blue Jays to be sitting in. No, uh, it's not the seat that I wanted them to be in. You know, going back to that, it's like it's a perfect breakdown of the way that the Twins did it. Um, I wonder how you felt watching Gossman, though, like your former starting pitcher. And this is a guy who all week we knew what the numbers were against the Twins, right? With this And this is yep. something that's gone back more than a year. The question of, hey, is he tipping? Is it something else? Is he tipping? Right. Yeah, and like, I wonder how much you think that was in his head before the game. Because like, I had Marco Estrada on yesterday and was talking about this, and he was like, yeah, the Rays had something on me, and it tortured me for years. And he's like, you try to block it out. But it just felt like Gossman early on when they were just not swinging at that splitter. Like, he started to try to nibble, and then he's getting frustrated with the umpire. Do you, I don't want to say like empathetic, but yeah. How do you feel watching a guy struggle like that when you know, like that's the team that he just can't get it. And what do you think swirling around in his head when it's going down like that? Well, honestly, I'm, I'm a little bit of a, I, I guess I'm a masochist because I, I enjoy being in situations like that because that's when you're really tested. Right. Huh. But if we're being honest, I'd like a little easier path to victory if you've got one, but otherwise, yeah, I mean, I just I'm pictured be your teammates to... being like, don't do this Dallas. <laughs> don't do that thing you like to do where you stress everybody out. And you're like, no, it's a test for me, boys. Just, just relax. It's a test for me. I like this. This is what I'm best. Yeah. And let's not get it twisted. My brother, I am not trying to encounter that or put myself in mm-hmm. that spot or me and the boys in that spot. Come October. I think you just try to be able to, to tap into a mindset that tells you, all right, this is where we're going to get better mm-hmm. is dealing with something like this. They're not swinging at anything close. I mean, the, 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 some of these are wipeout pitches that they're just spitting on. And the problem is some of those pitches came in leverage counts for the hitter mm-hmm. where JD these guys are not, they, they're not in a spot where they have to be aggressive. They're in a spot where they're patient. And I think the total buy-in, the complete and total buy-in from top to bottom, as far as a approach is concerned, is what is reflecting the success against Gosman for this group over the long haul. When you zoom out and take a look at the bigger picture, you have to be committed to an approach. And if I tell you to go up there and be patient, He's not going to give you anything to hit in the first two pitches. If you see one of those splits and there's a good chance you find yourself in a two, one count and you go up there and you're patient and you find yourself in a two Oh two, one count from that point on, that's all you needed 
to see or to feel, to buy in that, hey, you know what? I think we've got something here. If we can lay off that nasty split and see him up, we can hunt some fastballs and we can take advantage of some of those splits that are going to maybe just kind of tumble in there because he's throwing them higher. He's trying to land these for strikes. When he's at his best, he's able to just throw that thing and bury it because it's 0-2, 1-2, 2-2. Man, I, what, what's the saying? Don't ever let him see you cry, right? That's the one. And I, I actually, I had this moment yesterday watching Gossman though, where I went, dude, I love a fiery pitcher. That's why I, I like, I missed Manoa this year. I missed the boisterous Manoa who just yells at sure. the opposing dugouts and is like staring guys down and challenging people. Cause I, I love when there's emotion and in sports, right? It's natural, but yeah. I couldn't help but feel like when Gosman was yelling at the umpire to close the first on balls that were just like, clearly not strikes, you know, like the strike zone yep. was fine. In mm-hmm. fact, he actually got bailed out with a huge wide strike zone. Like that umpire was like, yeah, yeah, sure. Half a foot outside. That's okay. We're going to give this one. <laughs> yeah. You're going to have this one today. When he was doing that, I, I just felt like, damn, he showed them. Like I would have thought that those twins in the dugout were like, we got them. We, we got this dude. Uh-huh. Well, and, and that is, and that is something that is very, very real, my friend, because yeah. we know when we're sitting in that dugout and we see the guy on the mound mm-hmm. start to chirp, early mm-hmm. and we know why everybody in the dugout knows it's because we're spitting on his, his putaways. Mm-hmm. He's not getting the swings that he's expecting. And he is now feeling us feel him in between pitches. Meaning we know what's coming in terms of the split. We know what, where it's going to be. We know he doesn't want to throw this for a strike. And we know if he does, we all know what that means. The pitch just doesn't have the same quality and that's going to get hammered. Mm-hmm. And so he's out there battling not only himself, but those intrusive thoughts of, are these guys, do they really have something on me? And I don't know that that was the case. You mentioned the conversation with Marco Estrada. He very well may have been tipped off to a point where he did have the information. He knew that Tampa had something on him. I'm not sure if Gosman knows 100% for, for sure that they have something on him, mm-hmm. but that is still something that now starts to creep into your mind like man do they have something because i'll be honest a good club over there a tight circle they don't let that out no. for the next few years no That's dude estrada said he never found out beyond that room he said that the guys from the rays told him they did have something but they wouldn't tell him what it was he still doesn't know to this day i went Got and, there, and and yep and, and you know and, and once in a great while you'll get lucky enough to have that exchange where you do get tipped off. Mm-hmm. When we had Hideki Matsui come over uh, from Anaheim, mm-hmm. the first day of live ABs, after I faced him, uh, he brought uh, his interpreter over, Roger, and he explained to me, he said, hey, me and Tori, we had mm-hmm. the changeup. We wow. had the changeup in Anaheim. He said, that's yeah. why I want to tell you, trust it and just continue to throw it. He said, because even though we had it, you still were able to, you know, you still were able to get outs, but here's what we had. And so I, I was let in on the tip. I knew what I was doing from that point on and I made an adjustment. So you're not always that lucky. You know, what I was thinking too yesterday is, and this is something like I have no idea about, um, how much do you think the blue Jays went over just film looking for what it could be, right? Where they're just pouring over it, pouring over, making sure that it's nothing, right? I'm sure that they've got video staff that's trying to make sure, Hey, what could it possibly be if he is tipping the, the, yeah, if he's tipping the splitter in any single way? And how much does the pitcher get involved in that? Because, it, like, if I was Gossman, I would want to know if they say, hey, we know what this is, 
But if they start to theorize and they're starting to look over video and they're bringing you into that process, I, I feel like that would get into my head. And again, I'm not a major league pitcher. You were. You guys built a little different. You looked at something like, hey, this is a test for me when I'm on my stuff. Like, that's not me. I would crumble immediately. That's like, you know, just like right away. Oh, bad? Bad things are happening? Crumble. Meltdown city. That would be me every single time. But yeah, what, what do you think that process is like with the, the video coaches in terms of, hey, what are we looking for here? How much are we doing from that standpoint when it came to the prep? Well, I can tell you what that's like, not only as a former player, but as somebody who has had the opportunity to go into spring training uh, these last couple of years as an instructor on the minor league side. Um, and that is where I spend a lot of my time is in the video room, just watching guys and how they watch video, um, asking questions, what they're looking for so that I can better help them and maybe gear what I'm looking for towards some of the things that they're looking for. Um, and the reason why that conversation that you have at the very end of it all never happens until you have the answer is for the reason that you mentioned, you answer your own question. You're a smart fella. You said, uh, theorize like that's what, that's the last thing we need, right? Mm. Is six chefs in the kitchen kind of him hawing around about the recipe. Why don't one of you get the recipe? And then we'll plaster it up on the wall and we're going to nail this dinner service. But until then, we're probably not going to bring anybody in to talk about how we're going to do this until we can figure it out, until we can offer the final menu. And that's what the pitching coaches and the brain trusts when it comes to, you know, an analytic department, because look, video footage and those resources are readily available because of the edgetronics and uh, the game cameras or the cameras that are, all throughout the ballpark mm -hmm. centered on the mound. So you can go back and peel all of that away. And I'm not going to, you know, we don't really have enough time to dive into all the different things that you can start to look for. I mean, cause you can go from top to bottom, quite literally from your yeah. feet all the way to your head, your mouth. Is it open? Is it closed? Like yeah. there's so many different things that could very well be tipping this off that you as a pitcher are completely unaware of. Bro, Barrios got hit with the mouth open or closed. Like that yeah, was him exactly. tipping when he that was, just, he yeah. got busted from one of those. And they were like, yeah, dude, is the way that you're, you know, chewing your mouth guard. <laughs> He's like, damn it. <laughs> that, that would suck. Yeah. It, that it, they it, just got it, it down happens. to that and detail. You know, Some nerd watching yeah, the video the, was like, dude, when he opens his mouth and then the rest of the team was just, yeah, we're going to ruin a part of your season. Ouch. That stings. That's just <laughs> awful. So, so, so unfair. <laughs> like, you, to, by the way, what Estrada thinks it was. He thought it was his wrist placement that Tampa thought it was like up a little bit on the changeup and down a little bit on the heater. And he's talking about like, you know, half an inch and that's what they're looking at. I'm like, God, what a cruel sport. What a cruel, cruel sport that is to oh, have that just oh, twist over you forever. It, it is. I mean, th and think about this, like when you're throwing pitches, you know, something else that these hitters mm -hmm. try to train their eyes in on is fat wrist, skinny wrist, mm -hmm. because if you can see the width of a fat wrist, that mm -hmm. tells you two pitches are coming fastball, or a changeup because that's where you're going to end up pronating out of. Well, if you start to throw a breaking ball, your hand position, as it starts to come through it to, to your release point, that tunnel, mm -hmm. that tunnel, I'm going to see a skinny wrist because you're essentially going to be karate chopping the baseball. Mm -hmm. You're going to be working uh, towards the side of the ball and I'll be able to tell the difference uh, between that. If you can actually hone in, focus in, and really start to track a guy's release point and really lock in on his tunnel, then you have a good shot at, you know, and also you're going to need vision, going to need at least 20, 20 here um, to be able to lock in on that. But that's, that's another way that guys, when they're watching video, you try to differentiate that. So then you take that out to the game bound 
and you see if you can pick that up. And because these these guys are they're freak athletes, they're freak human beings, they can do that. So two, let's put let's put you as the video coach here then for the Blue Jays tonight, and you just get to sit down with Barrios, and you're the guy that gets to deliver the message, right? You're the one chef who has the recipe. What are you telling him it is tonight against the Twins? What do you want to see from Barrios? We have to be able, and this is something that I think he he understands because of his pitch mix, but we have got to be able to command the baseball in, in, off the plate to prevent them from diving because he likes to spin the breaking ball. And if he can't command the fastball, number one for strikes, number one in and in off, the reason it's important for him to command it in off is so he can set up the outside part of the plate where he's probably going to hunt the majority of his outs away. You need to make this 17 inch plate look about 20 inches. If we can do that, how do we do that? We throw strikes with the fastball in, and then we throw the fastball in off so that we can really make that breaking ball, that, that high spin breaking ball, what it is. And we can start to get outs with that weak contact, probably get some swing and miss with that, but you don't want these hitters confident now starting to dive over the plate because they just took a guy in Gossman and his best stuff and got him out of there in four innings. Mm -hmm. Now they're starting to taste themselves a little bit. So you got to get back to what you do well, which is throw the fastball, establish the fastball. And from there he can start to spin it to win it. Okay. So conversely, now they go, Hey, you're a guy who's seen a ton of Sonny gray over the course of his career. You and some with those Oakland teams, now we want to bring in the batters, and we're saying, hey, the hitting coach, Guillermo Martinez, he's going to step out. We're going to let Dallas Braden decide what the approach is supposed to be tonight. What do you want to see from the Jays' batters? How do you attack Sonny be ready to Be ready to go early mm-hmm. on the fastball. Be ready to go early on the fastball. Make him throw you the fastball. And what does it mean by make him throw? Well, if he's not going to land the breaking balls for strikes, or if he is going to land the breaking balls for strikes, you're going to have to fight those off. If he doesn't land the breaking ball for strikes, then you can eliminate those because those are no longer a threat for you. Hmm. But the problem with Sonny is he might go out there and start inventing a, a, another hybrid cutter. Hmm. He might start inventing a hybrid two-seamer, and you just now you're dealing with a pitch that you haven't seen before. So that's why I think the, the adage against a guy like Sonny Gray, who, as I said at the very beginning of this, is a master manipulator, hmm. You want to see if you can get the fastball up and get to that pitch early. You don't want to let him get in those leverage counts where he really, because he's a guy, when Sonny Gray starts to create rhythm, you have no chance mm-hmm. because he's, ha- he's out there having fun. He's almost, he's almost having an out-of-body experience where the hitter is, he's just kind of up there as an ornament. He already knows that the out is coming. It's just a matter of how he wants to do it. Yeah. So you, you get him out of that comfort zone by whacking the fastball and then making him, forcing him to have to command the breaking balls. Okay, so I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here because, yeah, the Jays are facing Sonny Gray tonight, and it's an elimination game. And it's an offense that just has been, yeah, scratching and clawing and, yeah, trying their best to eke out three to four a game. Um, if they do get to game three, if this does happen – you know, last time I talked to you was when the Jays signed Bassett, and you nailed it. Like, every the every part of the profile with Bassett turned out to be true, right? He gave the Jays an incredible year. He was unbelievable. 200 innings pitched. Clear leader in the clubhouse. Like, I think became one of the voices. Like, in the absence of Manoa, having one of those voices in there, he clearly was one of the dudes that mattered the most when he spoke. Um, oh, he yeah. was announced the Game 3 guy originally, and now there's some, like, hey, maybe it wouldn't be him. He's got... 
his splits against lefties are not phenomenal. His numbers on the road this year are not phenomenal. I know he's a gamer, but if it's game three, how much of that goes into your decision-making, like how he's performed against the Twins, the lefties, the road splits, versus a guy like Kikuchi, the lefty, who, yeah, has been better against the Twins and does have, yeah, the, the obviously the profile to get a team like the Twins out a little bit better. Well, it's, it's almost, I mean, you know, do you, do you start to entertain the notion of a piggyback where we mm-hmm. take what Chris Bassett has given us and we give him the opportunity to continue to lead us into this postseason and say, look, Bassey, you give us what you got against this tough platoon. I, we understand how things have gone over the course of the entire season. Guess what? Guess what your ERA is this year in the postseason? It's a zero. It's a clean start. So are we able to, I don't know, and I hate to say sneak, but are we able to sneak three or four innings out of Bassett without any damage against the platoon side that hasn't had a ton of success against? Is there any chance? And if so, let's say you get 12 outs from Chris Bassett and you've got the lefties lined up to start to roll through the fifth, the sixth, the seventh. Is there any thought to rolling Kikuchi out there? at that time so that now you really punch that platoon in the face and you're forcing them to make decisions. You're forcing them to have to match up, right? If you got Rocco Baldelli out there scratching his head, trying to figure out who he's going to match up against because it's Kikuchi out there carving people up in the sixth, seventh, and eighth inning, then you probably have a shot to win that ball game. But that's, again, a, a, in a world where we're entertaining running Bassett out there to start the ball game and then possibly bringing in your starter behind him. I don't know how comfortable they were or, excuse me, would be in doing that. But, I mean, if we need to get to the DS, I'm worried about how we get there. I'm not concerned with game one of the DS. I need to get the boys there. So maybe this is a real conversation we have. No, dude, that's exactly it. And I I would imagine, all right, I would imagine that Bassett, the scenario that I kind of see with him is, hey, did he have a better year than Kikuchi? Absolutely. But did he have a better year than Kikuchi against the Twins? Or, like, does he look better against this lineup? I, I don't think so. And it obviously means a lot to him. The guy hit 200 innings and he was pretty emotional after he did it. And he talked about how meaningful it was to him to have a year like this after the way last year finished. And I would just mm-hmm. think, you know, he's getting up there. He's, he doesn't have too many years left in the majors. It doesn't look like he's done by any stretch of the imagination when you have a, a season like this one. But that this playoff start would, damn, he would just be chomping at the bit to get a game three, right? This is an opportunity oh, for him to put back the ghost from last year, put away the twins, put his team into the DS, all that different stuff. But he also has to counterbalance that with being a vet and being one of those leaders who's willing to self-sacrifice. It just, man, it feels like a really tough position that he could end up being in with game three if it, if it does come down to that. Well, I think if you're asking whether or not Chris Bassett is somebody who's going to tell you that he doesn't want to take the baseball because yeah, no. he feels there's somebody else better for the job, <laughs> uh, no. you're, you're higher than I am. That, that is not going to happen. I'm not. Uh, what, you, what you would want to see happen um, is ha- have that moment of clarity, that moment of honesty. Should we find ourselves, J.D., in the fourth mm-hmm. or in the fifth with a, with a guy on base, a couple lefties coming up, and now we kind of know how this thing has unfolded before in the past. But we like what the scoreboard looks like right now. So is it that moment where Chris Bassett is honest and says, look, I've given you what I've got right now. We're in a tight spot here. Maybe we go, maybe we go get some help. I mean, if that's the case, but there's no chance. I don't know what world that would exist where Chris Bassett says, no, I don't want the ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be that. I don't think it's be that. Uh, last one. You've been generous with the time. Does it matter at all that Barrios used to be a twin? 
like that this is a place he's yes. comfortable with? Yes, it does. Eh? Okay. Yes. Good. Yeah. Why? Yes, absolutely. Uh, well, it could be, a, it could be that double-edged sword also. Um, you're excited because you know what to expect and you know that maybe even to an extent, some of the energy surrounding the moment at the beginning is going to be uh, manufactured because you are a former player here. And you know, like, look, you know, the, the volume only goes so high after that. It's really just white noise mm-hmm. because I've been here, done that. I know what they're trying to do. Um, and then there's also that little edge, right? I don't want, I don't want to go out there and lay an egg against this club. I do not want to go out there and give them every reason to go. See, we just didn't think that you were this guy for us. We didn't. And we told you, you see, you're not that guy for them. We made the right decision, Like you can have all of those again, intrusive thoughts start to come into play. But I think just the familiarity, it should anyway help him because I've always said for a pitcher or a starting pitcher specifically, Home away should never matter. You should get as comfortable as possible, as quickly as possible, making home the mound. And that's it. Hey, buddy. It's always fun getting a chat. I really appreciate you coming on. No problem, buddy. Thanks for having me. And cheer up, chin up. All right. Mm-hmm. I'm, feeling, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling optimistic, man. I, I like That's the sickness. That's the sickness of being a sports fan and baseball fan is like, I'm miserable about that game. I'm like weirdly not looking forward to watching this at all because I know it's going to be torture, but I, I'm like, we're going to win. The Jays are going to win. It's going to happen. They're going to come by, back. By, 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 by the time you pull the poutine off yeah. the stove, it could be one nothing yeah. George Springer. Yeah, that's honestly, I said that yesterday. That's my, my favorite thing. My dream always is trying to miss the very beginning of the game and just t- going to the TV and seeing that your team is already up. Like there's nothing, there's nothing sweeter than that. That is the all time best <laughs> gift you can give me. So yes, I hope I'm pulling the poutine off the stove and it's one nothing. George Springer drove one. Uh, yeah. And let me, let that happen. Dallas, let that happen. All right, buddy. Enjoy the games today. Take it easy, brother. You too, man. Cheers, pal. Dallas Braden, former major league pitcher, owner of a perfect game. Co-host of baseball is dead. If the blue Jays season is dead. If. What, what comes next? What are the stakes tonight for this front office, for these coaches, and for the players? John Rossi next. Sportsnet 590, the fan. All right, first, Dallas Braden was a real nice guy. Not doing the interview from the car. And then John Rossi, even nicer guy, waits on the line. Johnny. What's up? You there? JD, I, I am there, my friend. Happy all the Blue Jays in the postseason. Uh, keep the faith. The season is not done yet. I got the faith, all right? I got two things going. I got all the faith, and I got all the frustration just sitting there, like, you know, a lump in my guts after yesterday. Yesterday was horrific. It was a nightmare. It was genuinely the worst way they could have possibly lost, which is, hey, do you remember all the horrible losses they had from the season that pissed you off the most? Well, here they are, but in playoff form. And I went, thank you. Thank you for this. Higher <laughs> stakes. And so tonight, I'm optimistic. I actually like Barrios tonight. I think he's doing it, as you say, Barrios. I think he's going to pitch well. Barrios. 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 I think Barrios is going Barrios. to do very well tonight. I think that the Blue Jays are going to find their way to scratch a win. I think that the Vets are going to show up big in this baseball game. God, I hope Vladdy or Bo have just one moment so they can finally get a playoff win. So, yes, I'm optimistic, but I'm also sick. And, yeah, if they lose, <laughs> tomorrow's show. Listen to tomorrow's show. I got things to say. And I'm starting with this, Johnny. I want to talk to you today about this. 
What are the stakes tonight? Like, obviously, they lose, they go home. But what are the stakes for the players, the manager, and the front office tonight? Well, I think it's huge. And I look at the Jays and the Brewers as the two teams facing elimination today who have the most riding on it. Of course, mm-hmm. Milwaukee, they've got their hometown manager, Craig Council, unsigned beyond the end of this year. And perhaps if, if the Brewers' season ends today, uh, the phone call from the New York Mets comes in and maybe he's on to a new city, a new adventure. I think that's a possibility there for the Brewers. Mm-hmm. But for the Jays, I think it's more about the roster and more about how many different changes we could see coming down the line. I mean, I think there is still, even with some of the natural churn of this team, there is still going to be a really good ball club next year. But the Jays have to ask themselves, are they are they content with being a good regular season team, which is what they have been, but obviously one that has not had any success in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And, and they need at some point in time, J.D., to prove it. They have to show they can win big games because to this point in time, at least in the month of October, that has not happened. And, and if, if they can't do it today, I think that the front office has to look at this realistically and say, what about their performance tells us that it's going to get any better? And I, I really think if they go out today, the chance of, of a trade involving Vladdy increases, the chance of a trade probably even involving Bo increases. I would doubt that they would trade both of them, but it's. I feel as though it's, again, we're almost having a, very similar conversation to what we've had about the Leafs for a long time, but th- there, I think there are some different, there are different forces at work in this sport to where I, I think a, a trade of one of them would be more logical now than perhaps what we have seen on the hockey side the last couple of years. Yeah, but with the Leafs, they didn't move any of the guys; they moved the GM. And I guess the argument would be from some people that hey. Uh, you tried to build this team around the young stars and you had a bunch of money and it didn't work out. You tried to build a team around starting pitching, all right, but now you, you try to build it around defense, you try to build it around more maturity, you try you shop the way a lot of the offense and now it turns out they don't have a power. Like, at, at what point does it fall at the feet of one of those guys? Like, that they've gotten those kicks well, at the cans. No, it's fair. And I, I would say that that even if the Jays lose today, that the most likely situation is Atkins returns mm. and John Schneider returns, but with some changes to the staff. Mm. That That's what I believe from, from a management standpoint. Mm-hmm. I, I just think that when you look at John Schneider, all the years that he's put in with the, with the organization, he's gotten them now to playoffs in back-to-back years. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not sure how much better you're going to do than him right mm-hmm. now. Do you, you know, I guess you could, if you really felt as though, uh, like I think very highly of Will Venable, of Stephen Vogt, a lot of other managers and managerial prospects, but I, I'm just not sure that they would necessarily bring all that different of a perspective than what John Schneider has. I, I think John's done overall a very admirable job. I think yesterday, look at the way that he deployed his bullpen. He, he did fine. He, yeah. he got this team to the playoffs, which is more than what Scott Service did in in Seattle more than what Aaron Boone did in New York. I, I just, I really have a hard time thinking that his job would be in jeopardy. And, and I think this, it's a larger question now, and this is where the Jays will have to answer it through their moves. And, and you and I, JD, are, are going to be able to have conversations over the coming weeks to mm-hmm. interpret it. You know, what matters to this team? They, they were, they did in fairness, a lot of us said, it was important to get Springer, and they got him a couple years ago. He hasn't really been 
who we thought he was going to be. Gossman has. Mm-hmm. Bassett has. Mm-hmm. You're not going to bat a 1,000 in free agency. And I, I really think that, by and large, they have done a pretty good job of being good stewards of what they've got in the organization. Mm-hmm. I just think that something, J.D., has not worked out well with getting the most out of their very best players. You need superstars to play like superstars. I know it's one game of one playoff series is the smallest of small sample sizes, but you got to produce. Mm-hmm. That's part of the, the deal of having a big-time contract, of having big-time stature in the game like Vlad and Bo have. Mm-hmm. We need to see more because if we don't see more, J.D., the season's over. Well, and I'm going to reference this one for, I think, the third time today that Gabriel Moreno now has more postseason home runs than Vladdy and Bo. Um, That's right. It's a tough one. And this is this is the main one, and I think this is going to become probably the growing point of criticism is, you know, I, I had someone tweet at me today, and I went, yeah, it's a pretty damn good point. It's like this was the front office that was rumored to chastise the outgoing guy, Anthopolis, for emptying the cupboards. And a big conversation around the Blue Jays this year, and I had it with, like, the Kylie McDaniels of the world, like, the people who know. I wasn't, this wasn't just, like, me going, hey, what is the Blue Jays farm system like? People were mostly like, yeah, it's pretty underwhelming, you know? People are split on Aralvis Martinez and what his value is, and, yeah, it's been obviously a step-back year for Ricky Tiedemann, and then beyond that, it's not, like, very full. It's not loaded. It's not like they had just a bunch to dump from. And I think you saw that at the Correct. deadline this year, too, right? Like... Would they have liked to have had a bat? Yeah, but did they have anything that was overly enticing to make a team step out of the postseason race? No, they didn't really have it. And so to have gone all in and have used your biggest chip, who could, you know, who's right now looking like one of the best players in baseball for an outfielder that you had to pinch hit for yesterday in a postseason game. Like, I wonder how big that conversation gets in baseball, the deeper the Diamondbacks go, and if the Blue Jays are eliminated in the first round. You're exactly right, and you saw what happened yesterday uh, for Mike Hazen uh, with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Got an extension. Mm-hmm. He's done a great job. He got he got a closer in, in Paul Seawald yeah. uh, at, at the deadline, which has been a great deal. And of course, as you mentioned, he, he did the Moreno and, and Gurriel deal, and and notably one of his mentors in in the business, Mark Shapiro. He's mm-hmm. a Princeton guy. You know, played baseball at Princeton just like Mark. You know, there's a lot of a lot of connections there, and I I do think that. It's it's a really good point that you raise. Uh, th- that trade right now looks like a mistake, and and at a time where, if we're being honest, to your point, where your farm system is not exactly teeming with prospects, you cannot be wrong mm-hmm. when you make that trade. And and it's almost as though when you make one trade that is not it's not a good one right now. You'd have to say that. Um, then it's almost like you're chasing that outcome you're trying to make it up a little bit and, and hope that you get better better results down the line i think you're you're spot on that the, the tiedemann injury is is a and his general lost year is is a real concern for them maybe he's able to go back to the fall league and, and rebuild some of his value but it's you're right it's a very underwhelming feeling if you're the blue jays right now and and more than anything jd it's not just that they're they're not a bad team. I want to make sure that we don't overreact yeah, to this. They're still a good team, still a good team, but they they have in front of them an opportunity. And when the and when the fourth and fifth place teams in your division are are called New York and Boston, mm-hmm. you're supposed to do better. You're supposed to be able to really capitalize on it. And if they can't find a way to win a game or or win a series against the team that we know for the last two decades has struggled so much in the playoffs. It is one more data point that says this team probably has to look at some serious 
ways that they do business. And, and while I, I still think it's a, it's a better than 50-50 chance that both Atkins and Schneider come back, mm-hmm. it, it certainly will, will prompt a lot of very sincere questions, J.D., mm-hmm. about what the organization values and how they're going about getting there. Yeah, listen, I, I don't want to write the obit before they're dead because I, I really do. Again, I, I genuinely believe the Blue Jays are going to win tonight. Like, I, I just do. I think that this is going to go to a third game and that some of these conversations are going to be mute. It's just I think this is worth bringing up just because this is a do-or-die game. And, yeah, you're John Morosi, and I think people want to know what is at stake here today, you know, like what, what kind of pressure points there are. All right, la, um, last one because we got to run, and so do you. you got a busy day. What are you hearing about the Jays game three plan? Should it get to that? Like, like what is on the table tonight? Do you think that they're hoping to, well, obviously they're hoping not to use Kikuchi, but if they don't have to use him and they do get into a game three, how, how fluid do you think the plan is with Bassett and who starts in game three? I'd be surprised if it's not Bassett in game uh-huh. three. I just think that he is, he has been objectively. And this is again, why this team has such high expectations. You've got three of the top 10, 15 starting pitchers in the American League this year. Uh, and, and certainly Kikuchi is probably part of that mix, too, if you want to go for the top 20. Mm-hmm. That's, that's how good the pitching has been, mm-hmm. J.D. The, the, this pitching is the envy of the majority of teams in Major League Baseball. Call up a, a colleague, a radio colleague in New York with either the Mets or the Yankees or – or in St. Louis and ask them how they would feel about if they could just trade their staff for the Jays staff, what they would do. I mean, this, the pitching there is the envy of the industry. Really it is. Um, And Hicks has been great in the bullpen, et cetera. But for me, I think it's Bassett. Bassett has earned that right. He has, you know, he signed a multi-year deal to come to your organization in the off season. Um, He's been someone that that's given you reliable innings all year long. I I think that he's your guy in Game Three. And granted, I, I understand. Obviously, there's a you know there are some big lefty bats there with this Twins lineup, including Kepler. But when you think about Royce Lewis, it was a righty that that really dinged them the most yesterday. And and Correa is a guy you got to stop. And I I think that you start Bassett. I, I think to do otherwise for me would be overthinking it a little bit, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm so torn on it because. To me, I just look at it and say, so wait, Bassett road numbers, the Bassett numbers against lefties, the Bassett numbers against twins, you know, like it just, it, it all paints a picture of a guy that similarly to what Gossman yesterday, right? Is we all knew that Gossman struggled against the twins and then it happened and people go, well, why, why were you expecting something different than this? Like, why, why did you think that this wasn't going to materialize this way when we had all of this data to suggest this was the way that it goes? But conventional thinking is, no, of course you use your ace there. And I'm not pushing back on that whatsoever. Like Kevin Gossman starting yesterday was an absolute 100% no-brainer. You do it every single time. It's just, boy, um, if your season does end because Bassett gets tattooed, it's hard not to look at it and just go, well, wait, did you just make this decision based purely on gut, based on the makeup of the clubhouse and who the player is? And then for a sport that's, yeah, built now more on analytics than on how you feel with your gut, I just think that it could end up being one that is is difficult to defend, even though I I hate, I agree with what you're saying now. Like, I've come around on it. Anyway, I just, I think they're in a tough spot if it does get into the game three, too. Like, it just, it doesn't really alleviate a ton of the pressure. It's, it's fascinating. And I just think, too, though, you know, Bassett is the kind of guy, and, and I realized all the underlying numbers that you're talking about, mm-hmm. but he is someone that, that is adaptable mm-hmm. and I, I think manages, you know, manages chaos well. 
But like yeah. he just does. He's been he's been involved so in big too. games before. He's been involved in the playoffs before. I I trust him. I do. And and uh, maybe maybe that trust is misguided. But all, all I'll say is that if is that if the, the Jays win today and then lose tomorrow five to two and, and Bassett's on the mound, you will hear no second guessing from from this correspondent on that particular decision. I love it. I just love how everybody loves Bassett so much. So it's nice. You know, it's nice having a universally popular guy that's as respected as Chris Bassett is. Kind of like you, you know, like the John Morosi <laughs> of the pitching staff. Universally loved, universally respected. Thanks for making time today, buddy. I, I appreciate it, J.D. Thanks for the conversation and enjoy this day of baseball today. And let's hope we've got ball tomorrow to talk about as well. Please. I beg. I beg of them to do it. See you, John. <laughs> Thanks, J.D. Thank you. Uh, I'm not looking forward to it. I refuse to admit, or sorry, I refuse to, yeah, you hear my tone right now. Like, it's closer to the game, the show's over, now I have to go sit in the misery. And it's a weird thing, because this team has frustrated me so much this year that if they do lose, I I know there's going to be a part of me that just goes good. Let's focus on the next pain train, which is the Leafs. Let's get on the next pain train, Leafs and Raptors, choo-choo, let's go. Jump aboard. I'll be like in those movies where it's the guy running behind the train. He's like really hoping to just get on. He's like, come on, I can catch up to that pain train. I'm a little bit behind. I wasn't watching as many preseason games as some people. I tried. Honestly, I tried to tune into some preseason and I, and I have, I've put a little bit of it on, but yeah, it just leaves me so cold. I will say this though. A lot of my Leafs groups chats, a lot of Fraser Minton talk, <laughs> a lot of Fraser Minton hot in the group chat streets. The Leafs fans, the Leafs fellas. They are horny for the future of Fraser Minton. Potentially the nice Minton future between those two guys. And I, I'm, I'm buying it. I like, uh, I like what I see in those meaningless preseason games, which I said the other day, hey, don't read anything into the preseason with the NFL stuff. It's like, now nah, I'm doing that with Leafs preseason takes. Anyway, I believe in the Blue Jays tonight. So I'm going to post some bets here on my social in a couple of minutes. I don't have time to do it here anymore. The show is ending. But I'm not betting on the Blue Jays because I already have an over two and a half games in the series bet. So it's like just doubling down at basically the same number. But I I got the faith tonight. Barrios, deliver, baby. Come on. Have one of the big trade acquisitions. Wouldn't it be nice if all the big trade acquisitions were awesome? Because Chapman's been great against Sonny Gray. Trade acquisition. Jose Barrios, go stun your old team, trade acquisition, and then Dalton Varsho. Shut up all the haters, Dalton. Drive one over the fence, Dalton. Shut everybody up. Quiet the noise. We'll see you tomorrow. Go Blue Jays.